Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and our lives. In Jesus Unmasked, we believe that Jesus would wear a mask during the time of COVID, and so should everyone. Yet in this podcast, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and we use the Common Lectionary. Hi, everyone. Welcome to, welcome to Jesus Unmasked our weekly Bible study here at the Raven Foundation and on the Clackamas United Church of Christ Facebook pages. I am Adam Erickson, and I am here as always with my dear friend and colleague, Lindsay Paris-Lopez. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Adam. Hi, friends. And um, Ramadan Mubarak. Ramadan Mubarak uh, to all of our Muslim friends. <laughs> To all of our Muslim friends, you know, I I don't I don't know if if we have any Muslims who may occasionally listen to us, but I do have Muslim friends, and and um, maybe you do too. And of course, we welcome all of our listeners. And um, the holy month of Ramadan has begun. Um, in fact. Uh, it's a little confusing. Um, Google told me that it started Monday evening, but a friend of mine told me that it started last night. But um, at any rate, the um, full day fasting has officially begun. Whether it started for some yesterday or today, it has officially begun that our Muslim friends um, who are able and um, who are able are fasting from sunrise to sunset, basically. Um, so it's so um, it's a very sacred time. Um, you know, you feel hunger in the belly, but you're in solidarity with with others who may not necessarily be fasting voluntarily or or based on religious duty who, who may be fasting out of poverty and um during ramadan a lot of the extra you know if you save money and you give it to the poor that's more going to the poor during ramadan and also there are big big dinners when you break the fast and and uh traditionally people are invited to share them so it's a time of fasting, but for some, it's a time of extra abundance. And it just, it's a beautiful tradition to help us rely on God and share with one another. So if you have Muslim friends out there, um, it's nice to just be extra nice <laughs> during Ramadan. Remember that people are going on empty stomachs. Um, and um, yeah, just, it, it's nice to just be, extra nice all the time but it's something to keep in mind for this month it's very similar to uh lent um in in many ways all of these religious traditions have very helpful ways i think of 
helping us identify with um, the poor, the marginalized, and Ramadan, Lent, these are all rituals that point us um, towards, help us to empathize with those who don't have, uh, with those who are suffering, which in the Islamic tradition and the Christian tradition and Jewish tradition, all of these traditions are about uh, this kind of, this leads us to a more just world. If we could just like empathize with one another, it would lead us towards helping those who are most in need. And so uh, Ramadan Mubarak to all of our Muslim friends. Amen to that. So hi, Amber and Emily and Jennifer, welcome, first time. Uh, welcome, great to see you. And uh, Georgia is here as well. Friends, we have, um, I don't, I just love Easter. Like Easter, thank God Easter is not just like a day. It's like a whole season because I just can't get enough of these Easter stories of Jesus and the resurrection and many of like, I don't know, many of many, many, you'll see this in this passage. Um, I don't like using these resurrection stories as tests of faith. A lot of times that's how they're used. Like, like you better have faith in the resurrection or you don't, you're not really a Christian or you don't really believe if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And um, I think that's just a bad way to go about talking about the resurrection. So I'm gonna, I'm already nerding out on this story and I'm gonna stop because I'm just so excited about it. So hi, Cookson, good to see you. Um, Stefan, it's great to see you. Uh, I know, long time. Uh, it's it's going well. So um, great to see you. Yeah, uh, and hey, Star, um, welcome. So, um, Lindsay, do you want to set this up in any way? I mean, I, what more do you need to set it up than saying Jesus has just died? Uh, he's just been killed on the cross, and um, then a couple days later, he resurrects. And anything else you want to add to that? Um, um, not really. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. yeah, not, before, not before we read and then we can go into it okay you want to read yeah yeah all right so so i'm gonna go ahead and uh read this is from uh luke chapter 24 verses 36 through 48 so. mm. right um Oh, I guess I should say that just before this, they were talking about something. And what they were talking about was two disciples were walking on the road and uh, they were talking about basically how heartbroken they were that Jesus was gone and how, what do they do now? They're kind of, they're, they're really left clueless in the dark and, and you can't really blame them because they just watched um, someone who they were following to change the world. They just watched him die. So they're sad and they're walking along the road and um, someone comes and walks with them and says, hey guys, what are you talking about? And they say, you know, who are you that you don't know these things? But it turns out to be Jesus. So that's kind of funny that they're talking about Jesus and, and Jesus is like, you idiots, it's me. But he doesn't say it that way. <laughs> um, kind of anyway, it, but yeah. Yeah. So, so the, um, 
so the the disciples get back um, to the others to to the their fellow disciples, and they're telling them what had just happened, and um, they are saying they just met Jesus along the road, and they are really excited. Um, but the rest of the disciples don't quite believe them right away. So they have to see it for themselves and they're about to. So while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I love this story. I love this story. So, um, Stefan, we'll, we'll get to your, we'll get to your question uh, here in a second, I think, but, um, what it, should I just start? I'll, I'll just start. Go right ahead. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, Lindsay, in her intro to this, uh, talked about how the disciples just didn't get it. Um, they were left in the dark. Clueless was the word that you mm -hmm. used, which was awesome. And mm -hmm. that's how the disciples have been throughout Jesus's ministry, right? In fact, they're worse than clueless. Um, the disciples. One of the things that I love about the Gospels is that the people who wrote it say, we got it wrong, especially if you're looking at it from a from the men who wrote it. The men say, we are the ones who abandoned Jesus and betrayed Jesus. We promised him that we would go all the way to the cross, all the way to death. And then in the moment of his greatest need, we failed. <laughs> we betrayed him. We didn't do it. And here's one of the remarkable things about it. Um, they say the women actually did, right? Mm -hmm. The women went to the, these are men, patriarchal men from the first century who are saying the women got it right. The women were far more courageous than we were. Far more, maybe courageous isn't exactly the right word, they were far more loving towards this guy, Jesus, than we were, which led them to be much more courageous than we were. Mm -hmm. And now they're writing this story about Jesus and the resurrection. And they're afraid that Jesus, 
shows up to them and they're afraid that Jesus is a ghost, right? Mm -hmm. What are all ghost stories throughout human history about? What do the ghosts do? Uh, ghosts haunt the people who betrayed or pissed them off in their lifetimes. Yes. Every so. ghost story is exactly the same. They come back in chains. Ooh, they're gonna they're gonna haunt you uh, if they can. They may do things even worse to you. Um, they may curse you. Uh, that's what ghosts do. But what does Jesus? What are the first words that are out of Jesus's mouth? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And we saw this last week too, right? Mm -hmm. Last week we saw uh, Thomas um, and the story of doubting Thomas. And the disciples are locked up in their room because they're they're afraid. And this is Matt, This is Luke's um, doubting Thomas story almost, right? Because here uh, Jesus says, um, look at my hands and my feet, see that it is I myself, touch me and see. So this is Matthew's uh, version of that story that we find last week in the Gospel of John. And this is, this is, this is not just Jesus proving um, a bodily, physical resurrection. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus proving that he is not out to get the disciples. This is Jesus proving if we believe that Jesus is God incarnate, that the resurrected Jesus has all of the power and glory and might of God. This mm -hmm. resurrection story and all of the resurrection stories in the Gospels say that God is not out to get you. Even if you betray God, God is not going to betray you. God yeah. is always going to come back with the same words that, that God gives to the disciples through Jesus, which is peace be with you. That's how God responds all the time. Yep. Yeah, God is not out to get the disciples. God is not out to get anyone. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's not out to get anybody at all. And that's, um, that's the amazing and beautiful thing. Um, we have so many, so many comments, and I want to uh, welcome people who are joining for the first time. We we welcomed a few above, and now, um, okay. So Laura um, is watching for the first time, and welcome. And um, yeah. Um, Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jesus is not out to get us, even if we denied and betrayed him. And uh, earlier up the thread, our friend Tim said, um, the joy of being wrong. And yeah, that's it's one of the wonderful things about the Gospels, because they are humble enough to to say we got it wrong. And most storytelling doesn't do that. Or at most, it will try to justify what, what you get wrong. It will try to say, well, we got this wrong, but it was only because of this and that. And um, the, Gospels, the Gospels don't do that. They admit how, how wrong they've been. And part of that is because what have they to fear any longer? What have these evangelists to fear? They've 
come through their fears because I think one of the main things about about being wrong is just being afraid to lose your status, to lose the respect of people, to lose, um, you know, to lose who people might think you are when they see you as being right. And they're not afraid to lose that because they've been wrong, but the truth is so much more wonderful and life-giving and beautiful than they could have, than they had even imagined that they're not even ashamed to admit that they've been wrong. And what have they been wrong about? They've been wrong about thinking that thinking that the messianic age would come through violence, thinking that liberation would come through violence, um, that God was violent. They've been wrong about thinking God is violent. And um, it's a wonderful thing to find out you're wrong about that, so. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. And Rosemary says, God does not punish. And I wanna, I wanna piggyback off of that and also of what you just said, Lindsay, one of the things that's, that's so fantastic about this, and I think that will scandalize us a little bit, maybe, is when Jesus comes back to the disciples, uh, he instantly says, peace be with you. But here's how we might expect him to respond. We might expect him to respond with, uh, you jerks, how could you do that to me? but we would at least expect him to respond by saying, now, before I can give you peace, you have to admit that what you did was wrong. You, first, you have to, first you have to repent, <laughs> right? And then I can forgive you. That's what we generally think of as uh, how God works. And especially that's, that's also how we think of how we work, humans work. First, you have to uh, admit that you were wrong, and then God can forgive you. Here, Jesus just comes in, and he doesn't—he doesn't do that. He just says, "Hey, guys, I get it. Peace be with you." And that's like, for this is this is like tricky um, on many levels. But one of the things that I want want to point out is that often, like, like when people come at you after you've like hurt them or done something wrong um, and they expect you to, I don't know, like say, say that you're sorry and stuff. Oftentimes we get defensive uh, and, and we feel attacked. So this is, I think what Rose, this is the radical thing about God. What Rosemary says, God does not punish. God comes to us in the spirit of peace and forgiveness. And so then we can drop, we can just drop all of our defenses we can just be like, like oftentimes forgiveness, this is hard, this is hard. Forgiveness, mm -hmm. When forgiveness comes first, that's often when I'm able to be like, I just messed up. And thank you for that grace of forgiveness before I even knew that I deserved it. It's like when Jesus in, in the Gospel of Luke says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That forgiveness comes first. And then you can like relax your shoulders and be like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. And I, I, I completely agree. Um, 
And I'm not I, saying I'm not saying that there it, there are no consequences, and that there is no like um, that 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 gets like the justice equation out of uh, the situation, right? Uh, and forgiveness is is always tricky, and it's always important to say that um, in our lives with one another, uh, oftentimes forgiveness is walking away from a relationship that's that's abusive right um and some it's wishing the other person well and walking away from it um sometimes it's leaving justice mechanisms that we have um to hopefully work in the right way and make sure that they work in the right way uh as we're seeing in our culture over and over again um but uh yeah, so I, I realize yeah. there are all kinds of tricky issues with this topic. There, there definitely are all kinds of tricky issues. But the way I look at Jesus's forgiveness, um, the way I see it, if Jesus feels all of the pain that we inflict upon each other, and if Jesus endures all the hate and fear and lies and and horrors that we do to each other when we get caught up in cycles of violence and we don't always know what we're doing. And sometimes, sometimes we deliberately want to inflict harm, but I don't know if we always see all the consequences down the road. I don't really think we ever do. And if Jesus absorbs all of that, and if every victim of violence for all time is present in Jesus, then Jesus's forgiveness can give us the courage to let down our defenses. See, see the way I see this, the way it's most helpful to me is not as a, um, as this, you must forgive because Jesus forgave. It's not like that. I mean, I think it's good to forgive because Jesus forgave, but it's not like putting the obligation on someone who is hurting the way I look at it is it gives me the freedom to look back on all the wrong I've done and see it for what it is and do better because, because I'm forgiven. It's this, it's this freedom from, um, it's this freedom from a need for defenses and I apply it to the work I try to do as I try to, you know, learn and practice anti-racism. I, I think about, you know, I'm not going to ask anyone to, for, I'm going to live as if, I, I'm going to live into repentance, but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to try to, uh, I may ask for forgiveness, but I'm not going to try to coerce it out of anyone because the forgiveness I need has been given and I don't need to seek it from someone who's not ready to give it because it's already been given in Jesus. I mean, I find that incredibly, um, incredibly uplifting and it could be, it could be incredibly problematic to use this verse as a cudgel to say, you must forgive. Um, I don't see it that way. I see it as giving us the freedom to do better when we mess up because and 
and it gives you know it gives us the strength to forgive too when we when we are the ones who need to forgive but um you know i look at it as being forgiven and how that yeah so um tim is asking how might this text speak to our current moment with the george floyd trial and the dante wright killing um that's where I get lost in the current moment. And that's, that's what I'm, that's part of what I'm trying to say. Um, can this verse help me, can, can these verses help me confront what it means to be part of a problematic system to, um, to have white privilege, which should not be privilege, which should be universal human rights, um, can it help me confront that without being without being defensive? Um, can it help me to recognize that no matter what happens to Derek Chauvin, um, there is so much work to do that it's not as if we can. It's not as if um, his conviction will exonerate us from the sins of racism. We have so, so much more to do. Can we look at an entire system of, of violence and racism on trial and have the courage to really change things from an, a systemic level and not only at an individual level? Um, you know, can the forgiveness that brings, you know, that brings life out of death and breaks the cycle of death, can it, can it help us, um, to really confront what absolutely needs changing? Um, I hope so. I, I, I think that's what Jesus is trying to give us the courage to do. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I've been talking too long. As beautifully said, uh, at, towards the end of this passage, um, Jesus talks about uh, how it's uh, written that the Messiah is to suffer and to die and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. This, I think, is uh, is is exactly what you're getting at, Lindsay. Um, whenever we talk about repentance, uh, it's important to know that the word repent means uh, to change your mind, to go beyond your mind. So there is like a, a, a morality aspect to repentance, but Jesus is concerned with us changing how we think. <laughs> and what is the age-old way that humans think? It's generally in binary terms, us against them, uh, good guys against bad guys. Um, and Jesus, and guess whose side God is always on? Um, ours, who we are always the good guys. Uh, God is powerful, and so God is on the side of the powerful. Uh, Jesus comes to change our understanding of who God is. God in Jesus is no longer identified with the power structures or the powerful. Jesus here, God, 
is identified with those who, uh, as it's written, uh, the Messiah is to suffer, with those who are suffering. That's where you're going to find God in the world. That's the radical shift that Jesus makes. Tragically, Christianity, like the disciples before uh, the resurrection, has misunderstood this key aspect, this key teaching of Jesus, especially Christianity in the United States. Because Christianity in the United States, white supremacy has and Christianity have come together in order to make this toxic religion that we know of as Christianity in the United States that is about power, it's about domination, it's about keeping white people on top, and that is what we are finding today. Jesus over and over again says, repent, change your mind about God. You're not going to find God with the powerful, uh, with those who are on top in your culture. You're going to find God with those who are suffering. You're going to, Jesus goes to the cross in order to show us that Jesus and George Floyd are the same. Jesus is the black man who gets shot or who gets the knee on his neck for eight minutes. That's where you're going to find Jesus in the world. And as Christians, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, you damn well better do things to change that kind of culture. You damn well better repent because if you don't, we are going to damn ourselves to continued cycles of violence and murder and death. And so Christians should be the first ones to say God is not on the side of the powerful, the ones who have the gun. God is on the side of those who, as James Cone says, uh, are on the margins, who suffer. That's where we find God in the world. Huge repentance, huge changing of my mind as a white male uh, living in the United States. God is not primarily found in me. <laughs> Someone who has a lot of power in this uh, struct in the way that we've structured our society. That's true. And yet you and I and all of us are members of the body of Christ. Um, we are God's hands and feet on the earth, which, I mean, we are empowered to be like God. We are empowered to be merciful. We are empowered to lay down our power for the sake of, for the sake of love, because our life is not bound up in the kind of power that wields itself over and against others. Our life is bound up in love. That's why we can take, you know, when we, to the extent that we can believe that, and it is hard, that's where, that's where these doubts that Thomas and the disciples have, and we all have them, they come in because how can we live as if death has no power over us so that we make ourselves as vulnerable as the people we want to help, um, so that the people we want to help in their vulnerability are are more God to us than than power. It's, you know, that's a hard way to actually live, to take the risks necessary to make these changes. Yeah. Um, 
Um, yeah. It says, have the mind in you that was in Christ. Yes, that's that's the changing of the mind um, so that mm -hmm. our mind becomes more Christ-like. Yeah, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the answers to this, I think, is found in the passage uh, that's easy to miss because we treat it as a, so when Jesus says, have you anything here to eat? And then they give him some fish and he eats the fish. We treat that as if it's a magic trick of the resurrection. Jesus proving himself that he's physically resurrected. Um, if that works for people, I don't wanna take that away from them, but it misses something that's so key in the whole Jesus story and that Jesus is showing here in this. Hey, so I don't, I don't know what happened, uh, but we got disconnected. So I just wanted to finish off this thought about um, this resurrection story and Jesus eating the fish, not to prove, hey, uh, I'm physically resurrected. Although if that works for folks, that's great. But more importantly than that, Jesus comes back and he says, uh, we're not out for revenge. In fact, let's eat. <laughs> and this, this is what is so consistent with Jesus during his lifetime and now into the resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, right? It's the same Jesus who came here to party, who came here to eat, who came here to make sure that everybody has enough food to eat, that nobody goes starving. It's the same Jesus who's who says who uh, multiplies the fish and the loaves so that hungry people can eat is the same Jesus of the resurrection. That's what God is like then, now, and forever. And how many of our problems would be solved if, if Christians followed this Jesus and said, hey, let's make sure that everybody's got enough to eat. And instead of bombing people, let's eat fish together, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. the world would be such a radically different place if Christians including myself, um, did a better job of following Jesus. Yeah, Stefan, sharing is caring, yes. And and what a friend we have in Jesus. Um, and first socialist, <laughs> yes, uh, Stefan, um, since we got disconnected, I lost uh, some of your comments on capitalism, but uh, I'll see if I can, if I can get back to them, but yeah. Um, Racism is bound up with greed. It was invented to make whiteness a kind of currency that was uh, that imparted some degree of value so that rich white people could keep more and still and still appease and break up bonds of class um, by divisions of race, which are completely arbitrary and uh, so on and so forth. So you're you're right about you're right about that. But um, but you know, racism is invented. It's the child of race, which is also invented. But it is very much real and shaping our lives, especially in um, especially. I don't know if it's more so in the United States of America, but very, very, very much so in the United States of America. So um, that is to your comment, which I cannot read anymore because uh, it's not really on this live stream. It's on the last one. But um, and if we see Jesus in the marginalized, it helps us in our attitude as well, Amber says. Um, 
we don't see people in poverty or victimized by systemic racism as a distanced pity anymore. We see them as we would our Lord, as a dearly loved person who we would risk our own lives for the good of theirs. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, Jesus, you know, because Jesus is incarnate, the embodiment of, of love, the embodiment of God, because Jesus had a body, has, you know, because Jesus has a body and we could see a human face to love, now we can see love in every human face. Um, and we have to look for love in every human face. Um, um, yeah, racism is, it is a world, a global phenomenon, and uh, the United States does have a lot of guns. Um, those are, those are true things indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, more guns than people. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, Alexandria says, yes, race is a made up concept, but since we've made our entire system centered around it. So we have to include it in how we help people from different races. They will all have different experiences and problems they struggle with. Uh, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stefan, not saying that racism is not real. I'm from South Africa. We know racism here. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Big, saying that racism is birthed from capitalism because like pastors said, there must be others or them who could be exploited as cheap labor from the profit motive mammon. Yeah, it's all interrelated. It's all interrelated. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Rosemary, do you believe being saved as Jesus teaching us how to bring God's reign here on earth for all? What is your definition of being saved? You want to take that one, Lindsay? And then we'll <laughs> we'll head out. Or no, we, yeah, um, I, we, we do actually have to wrap this up. But um, so... Um, I think, I think being saved, I, I guess, since I have to wrap this up and I can't go into too much detail, I think being saved is knowing we are loved and allowing that love to flow from it. I think, I think that's what being saved means because it, um, being loved rescues us from getting caught up in the cycles of violence and dehumanization that come from insecurity and fear and feeling like we need more. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, um, and I think, and I think knowing we are loved and so loving out of that love and knowing that love is universal. I really, I think that's what being saved is. And, you know, I, I don't know what is beyond this life, but I think that that's how we live this life to the fullness, to the fullest, so that death isn't the, um, so that death, so that our lives aren't circumscribed by death, yeah. you know? Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that, Lindsay. Thank you, everyone, for your comments and questions. Um, it's great to have you here. And we will do it all again next week uh, at Jesus Unmasked uh, at 
through five o'clock central. What time do we do this at? Yeah, five o'clock central, three o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> He's got to go, everybody. So um, thank you for being here. You can keep up with uh, Jesus Unmasked at theravenfoundation.com where the podcast is held and you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. So uh, until next week, friends, God be with you. God bless you. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.